Hey everybody, we are live. <laughs> Today I am your host, Ethan Zerka, and I have my co-host over here, Sakib. Sakib uh, is a, a partner with our company and one of our esteemed team members. He he is indispensable and we wouldn't be able to get things done without him. Uh, Sakib, please introduce our guest today. Uh, yes, uh, today we have uh, Henry uh, with us and he is from uh, Epic. Uh, and he will base, he, Henry has a, a very, very long history uh, in the hardware manufacturing industry. He actually, uh, from 19 years ago, he was with uh, ATI. I'm sure a lot of you gamers know ATI. And um, yeah, I'd like Henry to, to take it away and please introduce yeah. yourself. Yeah, we're very excited to have you, Henry. Um, you know, thanks so much for being part of this podcast. I, I've been excited to have you on for quite some time. Tell us about uh, how how did you get here to where you are in 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 life today? Yeah, tell us the the history about ATI and and uh, bring us up to speed. Sure. Uh, so. You know, I love hardware. I've been in hardware for 20 years before this. And, you know, at ATI, we really helped shape this, the PC business. You know, we're doing really cool things such as defining the gaming API, which became the basis for Xbox. You know, we did the PCI local bus. Uh, we helped Intel develop video. And so all throughout, we were very instrumental in terms of shaping the world of the PC business. Even Windows accelerators, something simple you think windows runs today but you know back in the day when we had dinosaurs and we had to carry our laptops you know on our back uh, <laughs> you know these things were very were different windows when you dragged across the screen it used to jump so you know we helped pioneer the concept of windows accelerators too and i'm really excited about blockchain because we think that the innovation that has been happening in blockchain is nowhere near what it should be and, you know, it's through, uh, I don't want to say professional firms, but through people that really understand chip technology that can come in and help revolutionize the shape of the business. We're not in it just for cryptocurrency. Our end goal is to provide what we call a BPU, a blockchain processing unit to replace oh, wow. CPUs so that when you can fully run these transactions on crypto, you can run it like a Visa, uh, you know, 100,000 transactions per second instead of maybe... Uh, you know, 100 transactions per second that we're getting today. That is absolutely fascinating and amazing. Can you uh, explain to our audience what would be the, the hardware difference? Would you be using um, some sort of application-specific integrated circuit instead of a generic CPU or, yeah. Okay, yeah, so basically the, you know, the key difference is that in crypto today, we have mostly hashing we have hashing mm -hmm. chips, so you build one circuit, you replicate it, you optimize it for power and frequency. Um, you know, those are what we call the, you know, hash-rich chips or your traditional, uh, you know, cryptocurrency chips. Then you yeah. have this next gen. You have the stuff above it, which is the, you know, memory-intensive chips. So there aren't a lot of memory-intensive chips today. You typically look at these, like an EquiHash, for instance, or like mm -hmm. a Grin. And you know the GPUs are all in this memory-intensive category. There's a lot of innovations there, and uh, you know crypto only uses a part of the circuit. So when we look at a full BPU, what you get is you get something that's more general purpose that's adaptive to more algorithms hmm. and are highly integrated. You see this trend already in AI chips where memory is going into the ASIC. You'll see the same thing happen in blockchain processors as well. 
That is really fascinating. And, you know, did you expect that those would be uh, uh, as efficient as, you know, that technology would be more efficient than the current technology that we have right now? Oh, definitely. We're, I mean, basically, today you're talking about general purpose applications. So you're going to do blockchain today on CPUs and GPUs. And, you know, as good as they are, they're not designed to for super fast transactions. You saw Intel put up their SGX extensions. I mean, that's going to get you some improvement, but nowhere near what you need. So I'm envisioning a, a room of racks of blockchain processors, which are, you know, a uh, hundred times more efficient than a GPU CPU combination. Wow. Wow. And are you talking about efficiency in just speed or power or both? Both. Both. Wow. That is really, uh, that's, that is, that is really cool. Do you, do you have anything to show us, uh, in, in regards to uh, that? Do you... Well, I don't have anything to show you in that respect, but I can show okay. you, I can show you what, Basically, this is a box. This is half a wafer of chips. So a chip, oh. basically a wafer is a 12-inch disc, and there's little squares on it. You cut up the squares, and it becomes the chip. So, you know, we've got four of these racks in here, and I don't know if you can see. Oh, wow, yeah. So each one of those little squares is, is a processor? That's correct. That's So each one of these is, the, is a chip that we use on our recently announced SC200 rig. That is really cool. I, I'm always fascinated and love to see, you know, technology being developed and, and manufactured and, and created. Right. Um, yeah, tell and us, uh, it looks like on a board. So sorry. Okay. Because so that one's hidden in the carrier. So you can see each one of the ships are here. Oh, wow. And, and is that a hash board? That's correct. For hashing. Yeah. Wow. And, and then, I can uh, see that there's very few chips. Yeah. Normally there's many, many, many chips right. on there. So. And that's because they, these chips are so much more efficient. That's why you need fewer per hash board. That's correct. Uh, you know, we design we design the chips to a certain power envelope. Um, you know, we're doing the Blake two B algorithm, and so it's not as it's not as power intensive as the as the SHA two fifty six algorithms. Are you are you planning on uh, moving to any other algorithms? Or? Yes, we are. So we have we. This is the first of of three. Um, three rigs that we have planned. So we'll have a rig. I can't talk about them now. Um, oh, man. <laughs> well, I, I can tell you lots of back channel stories about how this industry is a little bit nefarious in terms of competitive position. I'm sure you've run into them as well. Yeah, so absolutely. You pre-announce a product and your competitors then announce a product that has better specs, but they have no intention of shipping and they mm -hmm. end up stalling your sales. So, you know, that's why we keep our products close to our, close to our chest. So I've got I've got two more rigs coming, and uh, you know we'll go into higher and higher into the cryptocurrency stack as far as point copy popularity. Excellent. That's yeah. T tell us a bit more about the uh, the woes and the pitfalls of of the industry because I totally understand what you're saying right. and exactly what you've said. I've seen happen. I've seen mm -hmm. um, one manufacturer come out with a, a spec miner. And then suddenly another manufacturer claims that they are, they've got a 2.0 version of it and right. it never comes to fruition. And it does, it does burn the sales of the other miner. Um, so tell us a little bit more about, you know, these kind of stories that you've had. Sure. Can you extend the podcast by another three hours? No, <laughs> unfortunately not, but we can okay. have you on another time. Sure. Um, we can do that as well. 
So, you know, there's lots of pitfalls. I can just uh, rambling off the top of my head is, uh, you know, I think the, the whole idea that chips are easy. Uh, we've seen many manufacturers in the past say, I can do a chip. So they contract the hardware company, they contract to do the chips, they contract a board company, and they contract the firmware company. And then you try and put these things together. And inevitably, it never meets spec because, you know, they either scrimped on budget or they don't set the spec right, or they don't have even the right people to evaluate how well the system's going to work. You know, when we're at AMD or, you know, here, we spend so much time up front saying, we're going to develop a spec. Here's how it's going to work. And we, you know, we do the simulations and we have everything in place before we start the project. Otherwise, you're getting this, you know, you're getting this kind of Lego. It's like a blind man building a Lego, a Lego set. Something's going to come up. But you have no idea what it is. Yeah. And so that's been that's been one of the biggest challenges in terms of, you know, and a lot of this is because we have software people defining hardware standards. I don't know. I don't profess to know how to build a house. I can tell you generally how it's done, but you would never contract me to build a house. So why would you contract a software person to help you to help you build a you know a rig? Yeah. I mean, look at the people that are building it or are making the specifications. They don't have much semiconductor experience. I spend all my time on forums trying to refute these you know claims that are not achievable. So that, that's the first pitfall, you know, and so, you know, a company like Epic coming in would be a professional company, if you will, with solid semiconductor experience. We've built 10 generations of GPUs and, you know, we've built six generations on game consoles. So we're the guys that, you know, you know, you know, we know how to build uh, high quality hardware. So, you know, that's kind of the back end. The front end side is that, you know, because you've got this kind of, you know, inadequate specifications and then you have all the marketing FUD is you now have this product of competing with paper tigers as I call it. Right? Mm -hmm. so people announce a spec and they won't achieve the spec or they have no intentions to release the product. Uh, you know, in Silicon, you wouldn't expect to do this, but they did the product, they made the same thing with Grin. You know, we did a we did a single chip with integrated memory for Grin and mm -hmm. you know, in announced the their product to compete with us, but they never really had anything. So those yeah. are examples of you know how the industry is works. So Henry, it, it seems to me that you make it sound like everything is happening all at once, that there isn't kind of a, a linear progression, that it's just software is trying to create software where hardware is trying to create hardware while marketing is trying to you know generate interest and sales. Is it really happening like that, or or is there kind of more of a linear step by step process? Well, you, you can look at the you can look at the development flow as somewhat orthogonal, right? So marketing is going to look at it and say, here's the you know here's the market for it. Here's kind of the products we need to do. Engineering will look at it and say, okay, you know we know this algorithm can do this, and you know we think we can get this type of efficiency. We're going to intersect it with a sixteen nanometer process or a seven nanometer process. You know, we're going to dissect our competitors' parts. We're going to study the algorithm, see how they can be engineered. And you know, it's going to be a combination of all those ideas coming together that will make a great rig. Where where does inception come from? Does inception come from the marketing side, listening to what the market wants? Or does it come from the engineering side saying, here is what's possible and this is our next level of improvement that we can move towards? 
it's going to come mostly from engineering. Marketing will help determine which coins are popular and, you know, and kind of the market dynamics. But really, it's a technical issue. Marketing okay. can take it so far. So, you know, we can say, we can say, yeah, let's do it. But engineer might come back and say, you know, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure you've heard many of those conversations more. Uh, if you got paid a dollar for every one of those conversations, you wouldn't need to work. Am I right? Yeah, exactly. There's a classic cartoon you should take a look at. It says it shows, you know, it shows a customer, a kid's wanting a swing and it shows mm -hmm. an engineering built, which is a fancy schmancy swing. And it shows what marketing wants, which is, you know, this, this thing in a glass house. So, you know, somewhere along the line between this triangle is the right, is the right answer. Right. And now, and yeah, go ahead, Sakib. Now, Henry, I know uh, I was going to bring up, uh, you know, you coined uh, the term uh, ASIC resistance is futile. I kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit uh, because you know we have some interest in that uh, in that phrase. Uh, I wanted to know about the origins, and also um, I wanted to know about your uh, your thoughts on ASIC resistance overall, and what you think about uh, you know uh, smaller blockchains that can be um, possibly you know chained off uh, using sure. ASIC. Yeah. Um, so basically, the way we look at it is, you know, nothing is the, there's nothing that's tamper proof. If you're going to basically if you're going to someone puts their mind to it, they're going to figure out how to solve it. Right. So the whole idea on ASIC resistance is that you, you know, you basically tie an algorithm to memory. And, you know, because memory is big and expensive, uh, you can basically use the big memory models combined with with a changing hashing functionality to make it ASIC resistant. And, uh, you know, Ethereum is a good example of an ASIC resistant coin. Uh, you know, what, what's interesting is that Grin is supposed to ASIC friendly and they inadvertently became ASIC resistant because their algorithm is so damn tough to implement. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> now, yeah, now yeah. Grin uses the Mimblewimble algorithm, yeah. right? Okay. Yes, they use Mimblewimble for security, but they use Cuckoo Cycle for hashing. Yeah. Right, um, it's graphs actually. But so who, you know, who that comes up with these names? I love these names. Like, <laughs> well, I, I'm actually. Do the there. engineers talk to their children and say, "What should I call this?" And Grin has an interesting backstory, which is the founders of Grin loved Harry Potter, so you know everything yeah. in there is is Mimble mm -hmm. Wimbles from Harry Potter. The founder Igno is you know has the was one of the characters in Harry Potter. And okay. I actually, right. uh, I've been a miner of both Grin and Beam, and uh, you know I, I, I like both. I have it. I think that both has their advantage, has its advantages. Right. Um, so I was wondering. Um, so obviously, this you know your miner would work on 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 Beam as well, right? Uh, no. So you know that one doesn't use the Beam uses uh, what they call I think Equa Beam. So it's a variant right. of hash. So yeah. you know all all the currencies try and make their make their algorithms slightly different. So, you know, if we look at, we look at Ravencoin. Ravencoin adopted mm -hmm. ProgPal, but they have their own version of ProgPal, which is mm -hmm. called PAP. Yeah. So, you know, in order for us to make it ASIC resist, in order for us to dress an ASIC resistant coin is we have to build the algorithms into the ASIC, right? So mm -hmm. there could be nuances, but, you know, one little change means that we have to change the ASIC. So we try and build all this variability in to support the, ASIC resistant coins. 
So, I mean, where do you see the future of these coins? I mean, obviously, there there's a lot of different camps. There's a lot of very smart people putting in effort and energy to right. to make these successful. Um, how do you think they will compare or fare in in the next five years compared to Bitcoin? Well, are you going to censor me for saying this? No, no, no. <laughs> okay. Um, so, I guess first of all, there's way too many coins, right? Mm. There's you know, a thousand, I think if I look at the periodic table, there's over a thousand. Oh, over a thousand, easily. Right. Yeah. And of them, you know, really only 20 of them have much, any practical value. So the market's somewhat saturated. I think you're going to see the stable coins survive because it is always a market for kind of safe type instruments. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to see the coins with big adoption survive. Although I think mining will change dramatically on this. You see a new application of staking which is just another form of holding a coin. And then I think the ruins I'm really excited about are the application coins. Um, okay. We love Saya for the reason that it really promotes the user. You know, it's got a practical application behind it, which is, you know, a blockchain storage. We can see that vehicle easily, you know, easily with the right support vehicle overtaking Amazon. It's, you know, it's version oh, yeah. free, it's crowdsourced. You know, and it's got superior technology. I think Sia Stream is very interesting from that standpoint that you can do streaming media on it. It's going to cost like a fifth of what costs to host on Amazon. So all the all the amateur producers, all the YouTubers can now hold their petabytes of storage on Sia. And then Sia has QoS built in, which, you know, isn't available to the small companies. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I actually mined Saya uh, dual mining on my GPUs, yeah. uh, you know, while I was mining it, uh, mm -hmm. all 2017. And, you know, I've seen them grow uh, into uh, into a really nice, uh, you know, option for a decentralized storage platform. Yeah. And I think yeah. they're just to come because, the, you know, their, their, their pace of innovations really stepped up. Yeah, I, right. I've always been very interested in them as well. But... Uh, Sakib, if, if you could, let's take a moment and uh, let's thank our sponsor for today's show. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, this episode, guys, has been uh, sponsored by EcoChain, an up-and-coming player in the cryptocurrency mining industry. Uh, EcoChain is focused on uh, powering their expanding set of uh, data center assets with 100% green energy. Uh, EcoChain is an, it's a new venture. It's wholly owned by a public-traded company, Mechanical Technologies Incorporated. Uh, OTC is MKTY, uh, and uh, they want to secure the blockchain with a green and renewable energy. Uh, it's good for the planet, good for the crypto ecosystem. And they're currently looking to acquire additional mining operations aligned with their strategic model. Uh, so if you have a mine or you would like to sell equipment, uh, you think you might be a good fit, uh, email them. And uh, the email address is proposals at ecochainmining.com. And I'm going to go ahead and and copy this and and paste this into the uh, the chat. Yep, proposals um, at ecochainmining.com. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Sakib. And uh, yeah, just like Sakib said, um, you know they're innovators in the industry, so so give them a shot. Definitely. All right, back to to Henry. Um, Let's see, where were we? We were talking about algorithms and we were talking about ASIC resistance. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, also it's, it's important to note that, that manufacturing is going through a lot of troubles right now because of the uh, pandemic. Um, yeah, but uh, Scott Offer does have a question. So let's, let's, let's answer that question real quick for Scott. 
Um, so Scott says, yes. yeah. Why is resistance important, basically, is this question? Well, there's inherent belief that, you know, ASICs are bad. Um, you know, the, we see the centralization in China. We see evil practice. We see practices by evil manufacturers like Bitmain who are doing self-mining, where you keep the product, you keep the best products for yourself. You use them. You know, you gather all the money, and then when you release your new generation of product, when you have another product coming out, then you release your old products. Um, so a lot of the blockchains want to want to get rid of, of this domination by ASICs and place, you know, place the power and decentralize into smaller miners. So, you know, that's the theory behind ASIC resistance. Most of ASIC resistance technology has been designed twofold. Uh, number one, in GPUs, they're supposed to be widely available, which is a total fallacy because we know that GPUs are highly centralized in the same areas that are you know, also doing mining in China. And I'll have you, I'll tell you a deep, dark secret that no one knows. Yes, please do. Okay. <laughs> you heard it here first, right? Okay. I'm ready. Okay. So a lot of the GPU board manufacturers are doing self-mining. So why do you think, why do you think there's a shortage of GPUs in 2018? Why should someone sell a GPU board to you for $300 when they could keep it for themselves and get ROI in four months? That's what's yeah. happening in Ethereum. Wow. Okay. I, I never thought of it that way. You know, we, we always thought of, uh, you know, the, the kind of PC world um, still existing outside of this space. But what you're saying is the manufacturers were, pr were basically pre-mining, getting an ROI on their cards and then selling their cards to customers is brand new, right. getting another uh, a, another income from it as well. Yeah, or keeping it too long and having to write it off. Now we see the same thing happening in reverse now that GPUs are all written down. These are obviously all free and they're kind of mining in the background. You kind of tie that to your operations as a public company and you end up self-mining. So the second reason, the second piece of resistance is you keep changing your algorithm. So, you know, in that way, you change your algorithm every six months and it's hard for an ASIC to follow because ASICs are fixed function. They cannot change unless you make them somewhat programmable. Right. And wow. so these Chips that you spoke about are, are they programmable? Or can you speak about that? Uh, the chips that we're working on are not programmable at this point. They are fixed function. You know, fixed function is the fastest. You know, you typically build the specialized right. cores and then you can make them run fast. So you know, somewhere between a GPU, your programmable blockchain processor, may be somewhere between a fixed function and a GPU in terms of performance and functionality. Uh, we've got Rico Liberty report here saying centralization is being broken up with the last happening and big players moving into Quebec, Georgia, Texas, Nebraska, Argentina, Venezuela, Kazakhstan, Iran, and other places. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, I would agree with that point in general, but I don't think I still think access to technology is the key, right? So fundamentally, uh, we're going to see a bunch of things happening in in five nanometer. The, you know, this is going to go way beyond the scope of this discussion, but, mm -hmm. you know, the, the availability of new technology is very limited uh, from the standpoint that we see Xbox ramping, we see NVIDIA's 7 nanometer GPUs ramping, we see Apple's uh, new processor ramping. So those are going to swallow up most of the, the supply for new technologies. We're going to see, we're going to see the market in Bitcoin stabilize. 
so that it'll be much like the S9 when it came out, that because 7 nanometer was not available, uh, we saw the market stagnate at S9 levels for three and a half years. You're gonna see, right. you're gonna see a little bit of that happen in the new Bitcoin product. So that's gonna lead to this decentralization you're talking about. But the moment the five nanometer parts come out, you're gonna see this big rush back to centralization that you mm -hmm. know, use the new hardware to, to obsolete the old hardware. Now, what what do you know about the five nanometer process? Because everything that I'm hearing is they're they're still struggling with reliable manufacturing with that. Um, you know, we can only we can only get the pathways so close together before we start having artifacts like quantum tunneling and things like that. So, I mean, how how much progress is being made on that? And really? another thing too is um, a lot of people don't understand is people think that if you half the nanometer, you you double. Um, the technology, but that's not actually true. Can you dispel that myth to everybody? Yeah. I think the way you should plan on this is that you're going to get third. Yeah, traditionally, you're going to get 30% improvement with each generation, and then you can mm -hmm. decide how that split of 30 is improved. Right? You can either divert it to a 30% more performance or 30% less power, and then you can mm -hmm. optimize through little tweaks like custom, you know, basically uh, custom development to try and, and you know, improve your power efficiency. So, you know, those those are the knobs that you turn, and then mm -hmm. you can also change the die size and whatnot. But to get back to your question of a five nanometer is what's gonna happen. Um, I think you're gonna see TSMC run away with the technology. And, you know, you already see that. If you turn, uh, for the readers that are interested, I would urge you to refer to Wikipedia and type in five nanometer. There's a comparison between Samsung and, um, TSMC in terms of transistor density and memory density, you'll see that TSMC is depending on which note, which variant of five you compare is between 30 and 50% denser. That means you can pack more information into the sevens. That's mm -hmm. why you see that, you know, Apple, all the high performance guys in HPC, which crypto is in the category of, have all gone towards TSMC. Um, you know, Samsung's gonna carve his niche in, in low power, but you know, crypto doesn't want low power. We want the highest hash rate. Right. Now, I mean, do you think there's there's ever going to come to a point where the density is going to become so dense that, like like right now, we're we're struggling to get enough power to the miners. Like, okay. you know, the C19 receptacles are rated at you know 16 amps, and mm -hmm. you know, farms are having they can't use 208 volts anymore. They have to use okay. 240 plus yeah. um, to get the power of just today's miner. Now, if we, yeah. you know double the 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 power demand i just how, how do we overcome that issue are we going to have miners with two power supplies you know doing two hash boards each or yeah i think you'll see i think you'll see a change in the form factor so you're going to see you know a lot of the stuff was designed for the home miner the toaster uh, the toaster boxes s9 size aren't the most mm -hmm. you know efficient way to package a miner you know I, I would if i were doing it for industrial miner i would do blades Right. And you know, okay. we can do much better in terms of airflow and form factor and density. Right. And then, you know, to address your question about power is we're always going to try and improve power, uh, mm -hmm. try and reduce power. But, you know, the ASIC resistant coins are probably the best at reducing power because the memory, you know, the memory aspect of it uses less power than the hashing functions. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, Nick Burley here, which hi. Hi, Nick. Uh, good to see you here. 
Uh, he's saying, what do you think the timeline on five nanometer will be for uh, minor manufacturers? Do you, do you want the PR answer or do you want the practical answer? I want the practical answer given the current state of affairs because we, yeah. we all know that a big manufacturer are, are having a little fight on the playground and everybody else is running around. They don't know what to do. They don't know if they need to call the teacher or the principal. And these two, these two guys are just duking it out. So t tell us what you really think. Okay, I really think that five nanometer technologies will not be available commercially on the market in Bitcoin until end of 2021. Okay, and, that's about that's about what I sense too. Right, I and think I think we'll be lucky to hit those dates. So the, the reason is that is that Bitcoin is designed on a custom technology, and custom technology requires a lot of hand placement. You do those little tweaks, you try circuits, it works or it doesn't work. You look mm -hmm. at what Jihan did in October, I think September 2018. He stood on stage, held a, held a seven nanometer chip up and said, I will have this in production at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. Three chips later on the S17, they barely got into production. And you know those S17s are failing the field like no time. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, five is denser. There's no, you know, the problem with custom technology, you have no learning experience. So what you do for seven doesn't work for five. So you're going to oh, extend... Yeah. You're going to waste basically, we think you're going to waste 50, 60 million dollars burning mass, turning prototypes until you get your five meter product running. Really? So yeah. it's not just as simply just scaling and add, adding more transistors. You, no. you have to kind of just rethink everything. Uh, yes. With, yeah, with I think it's exponentially, exponentially more difficult as you get to, uh, you know, right. five nanometer. Yes. That's right. So every every generation is going to be tougher and tougher to do. This gets back to your transistor densities, and mm -hmm. you know the, the other thing to keep in mind is is the business dynamics of it. So you know, one, you have no experience. You don't know how those chips are characterized. So you can design your circuit, but you don't know how practically it's going to perform because TMC is not going to have the optional data. What they will have is data from their ramp customers, which is going to be Apple, and a lot of what applies to Apple doesn't apply to you know, crypto. The crypto mining space. Yeah. Right. And then lastly, the reason I support that ramp is they're going to give all the supply to the high volume customers. Don't forget mm -hmm. that Bitmain burned TSMC big time in mm -hmm. 2018. Oh, yeah, they did. Uh, yeah, that's first time that TSMC announced a financial shortfall. Yeah. Uh, another thing, too, um, that I've heard in the industry is that Bitmain is only getting about a 30 percent return per wafer. So only about 30 percent of the chips on wafer are acceptable enough to be used. Now, we, we probably know they're using more. They're, throwing, they're, they're sprinkling in some bad ones with the, the good okay. ones. But um, that's a huge factor, too, because you're only getting a yield of 30%, but you still have to pay for 100% of the wafer. And one of the, the groups that we're working with, they have, what, what makes them unique is they have an 85 plus percent yield per wafer. Um, so do you think that has a huge factor in, in what lies ahead for Bitmain as well? Like, you know, it's not- I doubt it. It just- you know, I, I don't know systemically what their problem is other than, you know, I know they got some political problems right now, which is causing, you know, it's causing a war between Beijing and the Hong Kong grant. So, you know, they can't, basically Bitmain can't ship. I think that the S17 is a byproduct of, you know, having chips that don't make spec 
So this is very similar to what you see in the GPU industry or CPU industry. We short, you sort chips into high bin and low bin, mm -hmm. and the low bin becomes the ST17, and the high bin chips become the S17. So you got to run more tests on them. Uh, yield is typically based on defect density. So you know you got errors on the, you know, on your wafer, and the more dense, basically, the bigger chip the more errors you're gonna get. So there's more likelihood of getting a bad chip on a yield standpoint. But the bitmain chips are small, so I don't think that's the issue. You know, mm. I think their issues are kind of more, more kind of binning related. Okay, yeah, that's that's a very interesting perspective. So, um, Henry, I wanted to ask you as far as, you know, uh, the challenges that you're facing as far as, you know, getting your miners out there during this uh, uh, Corona COVID oh, yeah. Show us your minor real quick, Ken. Right. We, we, so, we didn't get a chance to see it. Uh, how many of you watch MacGyver? Oh, I do. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So we've had to do everything to become a MacGyver. <laughs> so, you know, we, we, uh, we're supposed to have chassis for a rig. And, uh -huh. you know, lo and behold, they don't appear. Right, because the can't get enough aluminum, or the person making the, the die stamp isn't there, or so oh, wow, <laughs> this is what we had to do. Right, we made it in plastic because we had to start testing. Actually, that that looks pretty cool. I, I, I wouldn't mind having one of those, yeah. <laughs> That's what we do for PCs, yeah. We 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 or we got the heat sink spec wrong because so when we did the thermal testing, they were off, so we bought these. You know, we bought these from old, you know, from old RF equipment. And then one of our guys bought a CNC machine on, you know, on Kijiji. And, and just and machined them out there? Exactly. <laughs> right. So here's the, here, I'm oh, sorry. Here's the old, I got it wrong. Here's the old, here's the ones we machined. Right? Okay. And here's the production one. Oh, yeah. Okay. Much better. Right. Much, much better. <laughs> But you know, these are the things we had to do. Like, you know, you, we, you, I could tell you stories about COVID bring up. We were currying boards between each, everyone's houses. We, we rented extra oscilloscopes and test equipment, you know, to put in everyone's home so we could be doing concurrent bring up. That is, yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, this, this will be a story for the ages. And, um, I, I think we're we're so lucky to have had you on today, Henry, and, and to talk about these things. Henry, can you tell everyone uh, what's a good way for them to get a hold of you, uh, to reach out to you? Sure. You can reach me on Telegram at uh, Henry underscore Epic. Okay. Henry underscore Epic. Okay. Henry or, underscore or Epic. And uh, is, is there an email or is that just your, your preferred way? That's my preferred way. Okay. Excellent. Okay, this is right. track of the, of the conversations. And then if you, you know, if you want to take a look at our Sidecoin miner, go to our website uh, under S, I think it's uh, epicblockchain.io slash mining hyphen SC200, right? And okay. you, you'll, you'll get, you know, we put some technical information up there so you can see some of the differences that we went to in terms of engineering a miner for quality. And those okay. are some of the things we're going to keep doing to make sure that, you know, our customers have the most reliable miners and keep watching us for new miners. Like you'll see an announcement from us in Q1 and, you know, Scott will probably have a lot of these too. That's right. Yeah. Scott, Scott and I are really looking forward to, to working with you and, and your future launches. Yeah. I love, you know, I love Scott's comments on telegram and he's, right. he's such a, you know, he's such an interesting character. <laughs> All right. We all all right. Scott. 
All right. All right. Thanks, well, thank you very much, again. Henry. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me here. I hope to right. hope we'll work with you guys again. And I'll see All you at right. uh, Mining Disrupt. All right. Thanks. All right. Okay. Bye. See you at Mining Disrupt, guys. Bye.